0: on today's episode of The Real Foodology Podcast.
1: If you eat the sugar, you're going to be in the hospital having every organ taken out because of sugar or medicated because of sugar. And when that all else fails, you're dead. So sugar, sick, dead. It's pretty simple.
0: Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of The Real Foodology Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Swan. I am the creator behind Real Foodology, which is, of course, this podcast, as well as a food blog and Instagram and now a TikTok. I am at Real Foodology across the board. So if you want to follow me, please go find me and follow me. This episode was so long that we decided to break it up into two parts, but we're going to release them both on the same day. So if you're super into all this amazing information that he drops on us, then you can binge it if you want all in one day. This is part one. So make sure you go and listen to part two when you're done. I interview Dr. Richard Jacoby, who is a pioneer in regenerative medicine. He's a leading foot and ankle specialist and the medical director of Extremity Health Centers in Scottsdale, Arizona. His specialty includes treatment of peripheral neuropathy, which is an extremely difficult diagnosis to treat. And he has successfully treated many patients who would have otherwise had to have had an amputation. This guy's main message here is that sugar is the reason for so many of the modern diseases that we are seeing nowadays. And I'm going to go ahead and fully agree with him. And I love this conversation so much because we dive into all of it. What sugar does to your body and the connection with cardiovascular disease and diabetes. How does sugar affect your immune system? Um, The dangers of high fructose corn syrup, sugar being more addictive than drugs. We even talk about fruit and what he thinks about sugar and fruit. We go into um, a study that changed the course of sugar versus fat, which actually sparked the low fat movement. So that's a really interesting component of all of this. We talk about Alzheimer's, which is being coined as type three diabetes. How can you kick your sugar addiction? And we also go into artificial sweeteners. And if you hear that noise in the background, that is my dog trying to get my attention because I have been recording for so long today. He is literally jumping around behind me with his toy right now, just being like, Mom, please pay attention to me. (sighs) There he goes again. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to speak on this for just a second. We talk about the connection with sugar and our weight and obesity. And I know that this can be a really hard conversation for some to witness. And I know it can be really triggering for people. So I want to be really sensitive And one providing you with a trigger warning. And I also want to say that none of this is meant to shame anyone. So I just, I really, really, really hope that this lands in a way, in the way that I mean it to, because ultimately at the end of the day, what I care about is people bettering their health. That's literally all I care about. And we know the science is there, that by reducing our sugar intake, um, we can either avoid diabetes or reverse it. And when I say reverse it, I want to be really sensitive to this and say, get to a point where you don't you no longer have those symptoms. And cutting out sugar helps you reduce unwanted weight. And I know that this is a really tricky and hard conversation to have right now because we are In a a time where with the body positivity movement, that it almost seems like we're not allowed to say that losing weight is a good thing. Um, As a health professional, I think that this can be really damaging. Of course, we can go too far one way and losing too much weight or getting too extreme about the diet or too extreme about, about exercise is also very, very unhealthy but i also think that it's super unhealthy that we can't have any conversation about losing weight because for some people it will drastically improve their life and improve their health but in that same breath i want to be sensitive to that i know that this is a very very sensitive topic and i just i'm just speaking from my heart right now and i just hope that you can hear this message and know that it is coming from nothing but a good place and from someone who just cares and wants to help people and make a difference. So I am currently sitting here right now drinking my Organifi Pure juice, I guess for lack of a better word. It's actually a powder that you add to whatever liquid you want. I just add water to it. And I drink this for mental clarity. It also has digestive enzymes in there, which are really great for your digestion. But I try to drink one of these before every single podcast that I record, just so that I have... Uh, really great mental clarity and focus. And I've really found that it does help. This is what really makes Organifi stand out for me in comparison to all the other companies that are making similar organic superfood powders. They're glyphosate residue free, which is a pesticide that is heavily sprayed on conventional produce, but we are now seeing it show up in organic foods as well. According to the World Health Organization, it is a probable human carcinogen, so we definitely do not want it in our diets. Okay, back to pure. It's caffeine free, so you're not gonna get any sort of jitters. And it is full of cognitive supporting ingredients like lion's mane, baobab, which contains anti- antioxidants and 10 times more vitamin C per gram than oranges, aloe vera, ginger extract, monk fruit, digestive enzyme blend, organic coffee fruit extract, lemon, apple cider vinegar coconut water powder and then a prebiotic powder and if you're wondering what it tastes like it just tastes like lemonade if you want to try pure or the green juice that i talked about on last week's episode please go to organifi.com and use code realfoodology and you will get 20 percent off of all organifi products that is o-r-g-a-n-i-f-i and with that let's get to the episode Absolutely. I mean, well, let's just go, let's go straight into that. Well, actually, before we go into sugar, why don't you give everyone just a little bit of your background and what you do?
1: Well, I'm a podiatrist by training, so that's what I do. So I do uh, peripheral nerve surgery for the most part, but I still do general orthopedic foot and ankle problems, which I did today. But my training is, um, is a little different than the average podiatrist because I trained with Lee Dillon, who is a professor of neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins about 20 years ago. Mm
2: -hmm. So he
1: has a novel procedure for reversing the effects of sugar on nerves, peripheral nerves. So he, in the 80s, a patient asked him, you fix my carpal tunnel and my ulnar tunnel on the elbow. Why don't you fix my legs with diabetic neuropathy? And this was 1984, I think, his first paper. And he said, well, that's a different disease. And he thought about it. And since he had the resources, the National Institute of Health did some amazing experiments and proved, not conclusively, but is being unraveled as we speak, that sugar causes a mechanical change to the nerve, causing compression. So carpal tunnel, compression, no argument there. Older and tunnel, no argument. But there's a big argument in sugar in the lower extremity for diabetic neuropathy. Big Pharma runs that game, as I call it. Of and it's dominated by neurologists who are not surgeons. So telling them that this is a nerve compression, they understand, but they can't understand the lower extremity for some reason. Hmm. So I studied with him. I was running the Honor Health. Uh, Womb Care Center. We did thousands of cases. I tried to bring this back to Scottsdale 20 years ago, met with a lot of resistance. So in about year 2005, I said to Dr. Dallin, I said, there was a lot more to your theory. And he said to me, why don't you try to figure it out? I said, I'll try. I was going through the literature and I was lucky. And I found a um, clinic at Stanford uh, run by Dr. John Cook, who's a cardiologist by training, has a PhD in vascular biology, and he worked with, and was doc, Dr. Gerald Raven's clinic prior. He is the the coining of metabolic syndrome, syndrome X. So that's the history of this thing. So syndrome X is like, what is it? What what's the constellation of symptoms that sugar causes? Now it's pretty well. Known that's pre-diabetes. Sugar causes elevation of your, of your <clears throat> blood pressure cholesterol issue, which is a sidebar issue to this. He's an endocrinologist, by the way. Dr. Cook's mm-hmm. a cardiologist, and I'm a podiatrist. Dr. Dellon is a peripheral nerve surgeon. So you have everybody's point of view.
0: All bases are which covered, is,
1: which is totally confusing. So and I hate to say it that way. That big pharma runs the runs this game here. They do. Um, I don't know by just by default because that's what they sell and that's what doctors do. If you have numbness, tingling, burning, loss of balance, amputations, take your Lyrica. You'll feel better. Well, you do, but the process continues. You're never telling the patient the fundamental truth: sugar is causing this problem. So, I worked with Dr. Cook at Stanford 15 years ago. I looked at his molecule, which, by the way, is called asymmetric dimethyl arginine. So what does that all mean? Well, it means, or I thought at the time, is that the chemical basis for the autonomic portion of this disease process was had a connection. And I texted him back in 2005. I said, Dr. Cook, I think I I think your molecule has a lot to do with what Dr. Dellon was doing. And so he invited me up to Stanford. We worked on it. Well, it does have everything to do with this equation. And it gets very complicated, but in the simplistic form, sugar causes just about every disease you can think of. So, starting with that premise, the natural medical world, food, real food, isn't that amazing? Like democracy said. You know, that's medicine. Yeah. Yeah. He was right. He always was right. But we got sidetracked by Big Pharma to think otherwise.
0: I would also say that we also got sidetracked by the food industry and more specifically the sugar industry. Because do you know, I'm assuming that you know about that Harvard study that was done 50 years ago. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so... Yep, so recently, I think was it I believe it was the New York Times published this, but um basically they found out that the Sugar Association paid three Harvard scientists to publish a review of research on sugar fat and heart disease and they handpicked the sugar group themselves handpicked what they were going to put in this study and they minimized the link between sugar and heart health and they tried to basically like shove it onto the role of saturated fat instead, which I think then caused this whole low-fat movement.
1: Correct. So Nina Teicholz, that you know mm-hmm. from uh, Big Fat Surprise, mm-hmm. it wasn't for her, a lot of this wouldn't be known, mm. in her book. And then she's an investigative reporter. And she really didn't have a big science background. How she unraveled this was is quite amazing. And taking a lot of um, risk in doing so. And she was ridiculed, which is absolutely... Correct. So, why? I guess it spins back. Why doesn't uh, organized medicine understand this? I think they do. But these companies who support the research through NIH, I'll give you a little sidebar to your comment. So, the National Institute of Health is under the Farm Bureau, which is a trillion dollar budget item. So, the money comes from there. Down to National Institute of Health, and they give the monies to the universities for the research. Well, they're not going to give the research money to say that sugar is bad. Yeah, they're gonna. It's just the opposite. I and you're not going to get a research study. I it happened to me. They like my ideas, but we'll get back to you, and they never get back to you, because sugar and specifically high fructose corn syrup. That's that's really the killer.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. Why Why should we be so concerned about high fructose corn syrup?
1: Because it tastes so great. It's cocaine. Well. It's, I mean, it makes you feel good. That's why it's called comfort food. And you do yeah. feel good because you have a... Temporarily.
0: Euphoric. Yeah.
1: Huh?
0: I said temporarily you feel good.
1: Temporarily. Exactly. Like any drug. Then you need more and more of it. So... High fructose corn syrup, for your audience, I think they probably know this, is right now it's about 50-50 glucose and fructose,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but soon to go to 90% fructose, by the way, because this fructose Absolutely. is sweet. Glucose is not sweet. That's the problem. So table sugar, which is disaccharide, glucose and fructose, if you just had glucose there, you wouldn't eat it because it's not sweet. You mm-hmm. want the fructose because it is sweet but you get the glucose with it. So there are two different biochemical pathways. Fructose goes through your liver and reduces that leptin hormone and also ghrelin, which is in the stomach, makes you hungry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So that's the, I call it the big Mac attack. You're never satisfied, but you're stuffed. So you keep eating and that's, that's the fundamental problem. So Glucose itself spikes your insulin and that causes fat deposition on your body. So it's interesting. You talked about the Harvard study. I asked that question to Dr. Cook. He's a cardiologist by training. And I, and this is 15 years ago. I said, I'm confused. And the reason I said it that way, because he's written 500 papers. I didn't want to read them all. So I went to him directly. I read some of his papers. said, could you just walk me through this? And he did. He's a terrific investigator. So his words were the endothelium, which is the coating on the lining on your blood vessel. He said, that's like Teflon, smooth, slippery. When you eat sugar, it makes it like Velcro. So the cholesterol is a signaling molecule and goes to the area of inflammation and puts down cholesterol, which is, and forms that plaque. So big pharma says, wow, we can fix that. We'll lower your cholesterol by statin drugs. And they do, it does lower it, but that's not the problem. I like to explain it this way. There's an accident, you look out the window and you see, or you hear a signal, which is a siren and you look out and you see an ambulance. So this happens day after day after day after day. And you say ambulances cause accidents because you never saw the accident. That's cholesterol. You never saw the accident. So there's actually a guy by the name of Vercal in the 1860s. He opened up an artery, looked inside. He spoke five languages. He saw this gunk and gunk for in Greek is athero and hardened gunk is atherosclerosis. That's where this came from. Now, he was making a good observation that that gunk was clogging up the artery. But that's an observation, not a causation. Underneath that gunk was sugar.
2: Mm.
1: That's why it was clogging up the artery. Lowering your cholesterol does not fix arteries. That's a trillion-dollar drug, by the way. Wow. The answer is sugar. I mean, it's that simple.
0: And it's so ironic because they're also making so much money with high fructose corn syrup and literally every processed food on the market, basically. Exactly. It's all money. It's all money maker. It's business. Wow. Okay, so that's the connection with cardiovascular disease, which I'm so glad you touched on that because that's what I was going to ask you about. So let's talk about diabetes, and I specifically diabetes, too, because that's really where the connection with sugar comes in. Would you say that sugar is the contributing cause of diabetes too as well?
1: It is the cause, not contributing. It is the cause. So, and you said type two. Now I'm going to put my neck out here and say type one. In. Type one is as well. Interesting. So Dr. Perlmutter, I don't know if you know these names.
0: Yeah, I do. I love him. I follow his work. Yeah.
1: Well, he, he is on the front of my book. He's a neurologist. So in his book, he says a lot of similar things that I'm saying but he says that Alzheimer's is type three diabetes. I'm saying all the diseases are the same thing. So I don't want to do this type one, type two, type three, type four. I'm really saying sugar causes a mechanical compression of the nerve, and we'll get into that in more detail. So every neurovascular bundle, whether it's your vagus nerve, your olfactory nerve, your hypoglossal nerve, I don't care what nerve, same process the end organ whatever that may be and whatever that function may be is not going to work like it should and it goes through a very specific pathway through biochemistry and a mechanical change so let's take uh, ms multiple sclerosis another guy from the 1860s by the way his name was charcot
2: mm-hmm.
1: so charcot he's french and he um Saw these patients with numbness, tingling of their feet, and also with more proximal lesions in their brain. Did an autopsy, opened up the brain, saw these little white spots. Same as Vercal. What are these white spots? He named them multiple areas of white spots, multiple sclerosis. Mm. There's that word again, atherosclerosis. Scar tissue. What causes the scar tissue, in my opinion? It's sugar. It affects the brain and the vagus nerve. And why does one person get the vagus nerve involved and another person is their wrist or their foot or any different nerve? I think that's where genetics come in. If you're carrying the gene, correct, they call them alleles, and you have one well, you're not, you can eat all the sugar you want. You're not going to have a problem. But You're carrying multiple genes that will express. and That's the concept of epigenetics.
0: Epigenetics. Mm-hmm.
1: Then you're going to get the itis, the compression by this process. So back to type one, in my opinion, type one, you're carrying a lot of genes um, formula. Given formula, which is sugar, boom, you got type one diabetes. That's my opinion. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's lots of metabolic diseases. No one ever heard of like Kreb's disease. Those kids don't live past age two
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's classified as a metabolic disease, which means same thing as diabetes.
0: Is that the one where their, their Krebs cycle is um, not functioning correctly? Is that what that is?
1: That's it's not the same guy, by the way, Kreb's oh, yeah. and Crabbe. This mm-hmm. similar okay. spelling. Well, <clears throat> that's an interesting that you know the Krebs cycle. Did you have biochemistry?
0: Yeah, I actually have my master's in nutrition, so I oh. had to go through all oh, of the chemistry. So I know your background.
1: So the Krebs cycle. Yeah. So Krebs was interesting. He was he studied under Otto Warburg in Vienna, and he came up with the Krebs cycle, the metabolic cycle, and then next one over is the uric acid cycle, and <clears throat> So he was looking at that whole pathway. And it's interesting because Otto Warburg, who he studied under, he made the link between sugar and cancer. He got the Nobel Prize in 1934. But the, the two of them work together.
0: But also, 1934 how are we so far behind on all of this right now? We're only ramping up the sugar in our food. It's insane.
1: It's, it's, I know. So I asked the same question. That's why I wrote the book, Sugar Crush, because I, I didn't know the answers to these questions. And I, I went back through all the Nobel laureates. It's all there, by the way. You just have to read it. It's very time consuming. Mm-hmm. And as a nutritionist, you're taught to memorize the Krebs cycle. Yeah. Well, what's that going to tell you? Nothing. Now, it's important to know it, but mm-hmm. you really want to know what is it and why, why did not he come up with it? Because his predecessor, his mentor, was Otto Warburg, and he looked at sugar because Dr. Warburg said, fructose in particular, cancer cells, if you fed them fructose, the cancer cells lived. You took the fructose away, the cancer cells died. Mm -hmm. You lived, cancer cells died. So it's pretty obvious, don't feed them sugar. But what if if you have cancer and you're in the hospital, they give you insurance. Nothing but sugar.
0: And high fructose corn syrup.
1: Yeah. And giving them chemotherapy at at that. Mm. This is a sidebar to the the question, but I I looked at all these issues. It's amazing. So I asked the oncologist why they used a PET scan. Uh, Positron emission tomography, which they use in cancer. And the answer is because they're looking to see where the sugar is because the metabolism of the cell is predicated on the amount of sugars in the cell. Mm. Here's my metaphor that I, so let's say in a PET scan costs about $6,000. So let's make it simple. Let's say you're in your kitchen and you see roaches. Okay. And there's sugar in the corner. Roaches are going to eat sugar. So you spray them with RAID. Chemotherapy cancer come back in six months. We're going to do a PET scan. It's above the floor, in the ceiling, and we look and we see a printout that there's an activity over here in the corner. Well, here are those roaches again, eating the sugar that you never took out of the cell. Mm. So you spray them again with chemotherapy raid to kill the roaches, but you never took the food away from the roaches the cancer cells that's modern medicine
0: yeah never
1: tell you oh and then say you're losing weight so why don't you drink and sure.
0: i mean it's crazy i know i think about it's criminal. it is it's criminal you know someone has a heart attack and then for days afterwards they're feeding them just high fructose corn syrup laden foods
1: yeah keep their energy up not oh. their energy the, the cancer cells or whatever so I and I just went through the literature and and read all this stuff, and it's all there, but no one seemed to have put the dots together. I, hopefully, I did. So I went back to Dr. Dellin at, at Johns Hopkins. I, you know, I explained all this stuff to him. He was really not receptive in the beginning because his theory of nerve compression is still not really fully um, subscribed by you know, the frontline medicine with a level one study, which is interesting because that study has been done at the university of Texas six years ago and has never been published.
0: Why could they not find the funding or
1: he had the funding; he had a million dollars to do this paper and he did. And why is it not published? I don't know the answer to that question, Hmm. but it's a fundamental question that sugar causes, Mechanical compression of the neurovascular bundle. It's very clear. I don't know if you had these. You know what the polyol pathway is? Mm -mm. So sugar, either fructose or glucose, but mainly glucose, goes through the nerve metabolism down to a sugar alcohol called sorbitol. And sorbitol is hydrophilic, pulls water into the nerve, causing it to swell. That's point number one. And as a cooking term, then, and I always mispronounce this, you probably can pronounce this. I say maillard, but it's maillard. Are you oh. familiar with
0: that? Actually, I don't know that one.
1: Oh, this is it like, good?
0: Should one. I know that?
1: Yeah, that's uh, the cooking term of, of, the, of the roux. The I know.
0: Yeah. Okay. I know the what brown, this
1: is. The browning of things. Yeah. But uh, protein, uh, basting a turkey perfect example. So the covering gets brown, crispy, and and it's flavorful. You add all kinds of different things. So we call those advanced glycosylated end products. The specific one for nerves is called pentosidine. So it's a combination of all these factors causing the collagen, the covering on the nerve to shrink. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: you have a nerve that's shrinking, or excuse me, a covering it's shrinking in a tunnel with a nerve that's swelling. Well, I, I call that compression. So the blood supply was cut off. And what I added to the literature was that asymmetric dimethyl arginine is the first chemical reaction to the blood supply to that process. Mm. And that just got figured out last year. But I proposed it 15 years ago.
0: Wow. And that is because of all of the sugar that we have in our diets? Totally, mm. man. Okay, well, let's talk about sugar being more addictive than drugs. I've read the studies that they put mice in a cage and they had cocaine water and sugar water, and they all preferred to go for the sugar water versus the cocaine.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I, yeah. I know that study. So they used the these little levers on the their cages that so they put sugar water in and a little. Mice are doing that because they wanted the sure. sugar water over the cocaine. Then they sectioned their brains. Are you familiar with that term homoculus? Mm-mm. So that's uh, <clears throat> that means little man. So if you think your brain from frontal lobe to the occipital lobe and put a person on their back and the function of the brain, the body parts, are accentuated by the the amount of neurons you use for a activity in that mouse, the brain was all thumb Mm. because that's all it wanted was sugar. So it kept hitting the lever. So the brain by neuroplasticity made all the cells in the brain available to that mouse's thumb. No other idea, no other function. I don't care about anything other than getting more sugar. That's addiction.
0: Yeah. I mean, essentially all of us that are addicted to, well, I'm, I don't really eat processed foods, but I would say a lot of people that are really addicted to processed foods, it's really just, they're addicted to the sugar. You know, they're, it's essentially like being a drug addict.
1: What is a drug addict? Yeah. So, so why is that not the first thing said in a diagnosis of whatever your itis is? Um, if you say, well, I have arthritis which is this inflammation of the joint, which a lot of times is rheumatoid arthritis. If you're carrying the genes that express for that particular tissue, you'll have that disease. But in my opinion, it's sugar causing the trigger. You're carrying the genes. If you never came in contact with sugar, you'll never have the problem.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I saw something before we got on this call, that the New York Times a couple years ago published something that they found that Coca-Cola got really cozy in relationship with sponsored researchers who were conducting studies aimed at minimizing the effects of sugary drinks on obesity. So no wonder everyone is so confused because we have all these, you know, quote-unquote studies coming out saying Oh, your soda actually has nothing to do with your your oh, weight. Yeah, your weight.
1: The studies. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. And then there was another one saying that the Candy Trade Association funded and influenced studies to show that children who ate sweets actually have a healthier body weight than those who do not, which makes me so angry.
1: Here's how I I I and I've said this to scientists, doesn't make me any friends, but I'll say on those kind of studies are are you that stupid or are you on the take? Now we know the guy or the gal who did the study. They're brilliant, so we know they're not stupid by default. They've been paid to write these articles,
0: yeah,
1: because they they get it, and if right. they don't get it, they they need. They're, well, we know they're not stupid. These are bright, bright people.
0: Metabolic health is so so important. Blood sugar balance plays a huge role in your metabolic health, largely controlled and maintained by your diet. But thanks to our modern agriculture practices, we don't always get all the vitamins and minerals we need just from our diet. And how you feel and perform every day is largely dependent on the energy your cells make. This is directly impacted by your metabolic rate, driven by the balance of vitamins and minerals inside your cells. Some nutrients speed you up while others slow you down, and the nutrients impacting your metabolism impact everything from your energy production to thyroid activity and adrenal function. But by changing the balance of nutrients in your body, you can change your overall health and, more importantly, how you feel on a daily basis. This is why I personally take paragon vitamins. Hopefully by now you've heard me talk a lot about them, but They are bio-individualized to your body specifically based on an assessment test. So you send in a little clip of your hair. They send that to their labs. And then they give you a detailed report back basically of everything that's going on in your body. Nutritional deficiencies you may have, metal toxicities, what your metabolic rate is. And then from there, they recommend vitamins and minerals specifically based on the information that they got from your hair. This is why I love Paragon Vitamins. And they have given me a code to share with you for 15% off their metabolic assessment test at paragonvitamins.com. So use the code realfood15 at paragonvitamins.com to get yours today. God. Okay. So I want to take this this part to go basically into this conversation about the effect on the immune system, because I've been thinking about this a lot the last year with everything going on with the virus, and I don't want to go too far into the virus, but I want to speak more in terms of how sugar affects the immune system and really why we should want to avoid sugar besides everything else that we just talked about.
1: Well, actually I did talk about it in my book, not purposely talking about vi- or you know, viruses, but it has everything to do with that. So it's, it's kind of tough biochemistry to wrap your head around for your audience, but let me let me try to give a, a metaphor here. So let's say we're in whatever room you're in, in that room you're in right now, that's a lung cell. Okay. And so you're eating a lot of sugar. And I'll give you some statistics at our hospital here in Scottsdale, 94% of all the patients in the ICU are either obese, diabetic, or cardiovascular disease, 94%, that get the virus that leads to death. Answer is sugar. I had this conversation for four hours this morning with the anesthesiologist who did a a six months at this hospital for these COVID patients. So we discussed this for four hours this morning. So we're in that room. You're a lung cell right now. Okay. Be one with the lung cell. And there's a lot of stuff in there.
0: Dog, oh, Sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll s- tell you right. some part of that. I was just on the phone with, with our billing company. It wasn't a dog. It was a rooster in the background. Oh. And it wouldn't <laughs> shut up. Oh my from God. India. From India. It was hysterical on the zoom. I,
0: yeah. That is not a noise you expect to hear. Yeah. A dog at least, but. You know.
1: And it was loud. Wouldn't (laughs) shut up. Um, so you're in a room, you're one with the lung cell, and there's blood supply in the endothelium, and you need oxygen. That's what it you're exchanging carbon dioxide for oxygen. So you have sugar in the cell, and your immune system, white cells, are down regulated. So, and I'll tell you. One of the issues here is because glucose competes with vitamin C. I don't know if you know that from mm-hmm. your nutrition it's called the ascorbate competition theory versus Linus Pauling. Yeah. So this is another sidebar to that because human beings, primates, cannot produce vitamin C. So we make vitamin C out of glucose. There's two carbons difference. So now you're in the cell, you're eating sugar. This is how I like to explain it. there's knock at the door, you open the door, your, your name is insulin, by the way, we'll make you insulin. And you open the door because you regulate two things, vitamin C and, and glucose. And you recognize these two guys at the door, because you're the bouncer. And you say, vitamin C, you're not allowed in, but glucose is. Now you're now you don't have vitamin C in your cell. Mm. Why is that important? Well, now the virus can get in the or is can get in the cell because the cell membrane is composed of a lot of vitamin C with hyaluronic acid, so it gets through the cracks and gets in into the cell. Uh, it makes cracks. The virus gets in there. I'm sorry. The virus gets in there. So there's an eruption, immune response. Now, what is a virus? A virus is a bit of RNA. It can't replicate and it can't duplicate. So if it was on your desk in front of you, it's, it's right there. It's, it's, it's floating around. You breathe it in, you breathe it out. Mask or no mask, you're going to breathe it in and breathe it out. So it's looking for your copy machine. You have a copy machine in your cell there, probably on the desk there, right? Yeah. And it's going to say, may I use your copy machine? But I don't think it says may I. It just uses your copy machine, your DNA. That's what a DNA is, a copy machine. And it makes a million copies of this RNA, the virus. You fill up with fluid and and you can't exchange oxygen. Mm. And you die. It's that simple. Yeah. What what's the vaccine gonna do? Allows you to eat more sugar.
0: Oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's it really it makes me sick because we know all of this, and like you said before, ninety four percent of those people are in the hospital because of sugar. And are then you
1: going, they go, not. they need to be quarantined. let the, yeah. I mean, especially where you live in Los Angeles. Yeah, That's, is it still part of the United States?
0: <laughs> yep, we are <laughs> surprisingly. Half of
1: the people have moved to Arizona. By the way.
0: Yeah. A lot of people have moved to Texas too. And Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So how, okay. So now that we know the way that sugar affects our body and we know how addictive it is, what would you say to people that are now paying attention and they want to kick their sugar addiction? How do, where do you begin?
1: Well, it's, 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 it's very difficult to do. I mean, I, 15 years ago, if you asked me, was I addicted to sugar when I started this project? And the answer was no, but the answer really was yes. Because when I tried not to eat sugar, it was painful, very painful. I put butter in my coffee. That was the biggest thing. I thought I invented that, but my editor in New York, when I I brought that idea to her, he said, well, I'm already publishing a book for Dave Asprey and that concept. But that's what I did. So you need to get over to ketogenic diet. That's the answer to the question. So if you're eating fat, now we get into that whole thing we started a conversation with. Oh, but that causes coronary artery disease. No, it does not. And never Sugar. did, by the way, because at a Harvard study. And Ansel Keys and, and lots and lots of people. I'm not sure it was mean. it was purposeful, but they had their blinders on. They were making money. And so why question it? Now, here we are with COVID-19. And the answer to that question is sugar. And I wrote about it on page 25 in my book, by the way, on that biochemical equation. So if you're eating sugar, you can't produce nitric oxide. You can't produce nitric oxide. Your O2 levels will go down and eventually you will die. Mm. I, but that's, I'm a committee of one on this one. So they're pushing vaccinations. Well, that doesn't solve the problem. Just had a patient 10 minutes before I got on the line after the rooster. And, and the, the question was, um, this woman had been vaccinated twice with a Pfizer, and I'm going to do her surgery in two weeks. And they still have to be tested. I said, you had your vaccination. Why are you going to be tested? But this, that's the rules. Hmm. So what is the vaccine? What is the vaccination? First of all, by Pfizer and Moderna, they're not vaccinations. The word vaccination, vaca means cow in Latin. I don't know if you know that. So the smallpox, the cows, smallpox, they had that disease. Pus, this guy in the 1700s took the pus, made a scratch and inoculated, vaccinate. That's where the word comes from. So you didn't get smallpox because now you have immunity because you made antibiotics. Well, that's Mm -hmm. not what we're doing with Moderna or Pfizer. You still get the disease, but not as bad. Why not tell the patient, if you eat sugar, you're going to be a host. Don't be a host. Oh, yeah, but I love sugar. Well, then you're going to die. Yeah. They should be quarantined.
0: It's, I mean, it's a harsh, scary reality, but unfortunately, it's just the reality of the situation that we need to take care of our health and our nutrition first. Because our immune system is our body's first line of defense against anything. It's why we have an immune system. Of course. And when you're eating foods such as sugar that lower that immune response and cause inflammation, like you said, of course the body is not going to be able to handle it in a way that it's designed to because it's, you know, our defenses are down. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of biochemistry behind that. I could get into the details, but the bottom line is, it's sugar. Yeah. And the literature supports everything I'm saying, not the way I'm saying it. No. And all these diseases. I mean, that's. I mean, I'll talk about one that's really serious, and that is autism. And I think that is totally sugar.
0: Interesting. I haven't heard this.
1: It's just a different nerve. Now, I worked with a gal. Her name is uh, Stephanie Senef. Uh She has a new book coming out, by the way, in June on the microbiome. And you, you probably know, if you're in this world, you probably know her. She's the one that linked glyphosate, Monsanto's herbicide, with the uh, autism problem. Mm. And she... This is maybe six, seven years ago. So she taught me the shikimate pathway and all the microbiome and all this stuff I never learned in college. And she's a genius. And she just spoon fed me this stuff. So the glyphosate connection is real. And if you change the microbiome, you're going to those organisms. There's about 500 to 1,000 organisms live in your gut. They love sugar. We'll send that message up your vagus nerve to your hippocampus. That's the addiction center. And that's that little, um, well, I think he's, he's probably male. He says, Hey, you can have that. It won't hurt you. That's that desire you have to eat sugar because it tastes great. and makes, makes you feel good, but it causes tons of problems. And autism, in my opinion, is one of those. So I looked at all the different nerves, and I I thought to myself, what is the number one symptom in autistic spectrum disorder? And it's speech. So the hypoglossal nerve in the back of your brain, it's in a structure called the olive, and it sends that nerve underneath your mandible to your tongue, innervates the tongue for speech, one of its functions. And autistic kids have delayed speech. So I did a deep dive on this subject when I was writing the book and I found an article in Scientific America on the year 2000, February's edition, two uh, embryologists wrote the article. They looked at these kids and it was an amazing article, but they were writing it as embryologists, not as a surgeon, not as like my training with Dr. Dellen. So I'm reading all these articles. Can I find a instance of nerve compression? I'll give you the answer. So they looked at these kids about on day 22 to day 24 after conception, there's one protein that's not put down at the area of the gestation where the ear, eye, and all these things come together. The hypoglossal nerve nucleus is formed on those two days between Mm. these two structures. They found that The kids, 1.1 millimeter distance between the hypoglossal nerve nucleus. I'll use this as the nerve. Mm -hmm. And autistic kids, there's the nucleus. It's a compression neuropathy. That's not what they said, but that's what they, let me rephrase that. They said exactly that, but they, Embryologists and not surgeons. I look at it as oh, no, that's nerve compression. So here it is, runs here. So you're two years of age and you, you're trying to form speech and you say, I want a glass of water. It doesn't come out. You can't do it. So you kick your foot through the wall.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: psycho babble you. Now, now you'll be fine. Institutionalized. That's autism. Back to the homunculus. So you can't speak. So I think i these are bright kids. So I think I'll learn how to play the piano. The whole brain becomes a keyboard. That's why they're such geniuses. Mm. Or they paint, or they do this or that, but they can't speak because of that. So we call them autistic. When I read that article, there were 16 kids per 10,000 births in the United States. This year, about one in 38.
0: Wow. And our sugar consumption has only gone up.
1: Oh, absolutely. So if you look back at the numbers, and I, I made the math, I made a mistake in the book when I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, 1974, high fructose corn syrup. Well, you're not having babies when you're a baby. So let's say the average age is 20 for a female. So 1974, 1994, and you can see the curve starting to go like that in the year 2000 because that's when this accumulation of high fructose corn syrup in the female and the male. So now we have two donors to this issue epigenetically. Now, this is my interpretation. So let's say you're eating a high sugar diet and female has three genes. The male has three genes. You spin the wheel and what it's, I assume that most pregnancies happen on a six-pack of beer and a pizza. (laughs) Preconception, it's like Russian roulette. Then on day 22, that protein is not expressed. Compression, muscle, what is it? Nerve, muscle, Mm -hmm. function. What's behind the nerve? Those three biochemical pathways. You eat the wrong food. You have that process, compression, muscle, nerve, hypoglossal nerve, vagus nerve, median nerve, ulnar nerve, all the nerves in the leg. What's the difference? None. It's all the same. Oh, but you don't understand. They always say, this is how I get one debates. But Dr. Jacoby, you don't understand. I'm the world's leading authority on Alzheimer's or ALS for that matter. I said, I know you are. That's the problem. You're not looking at it from that. You're looking for a drug to treat that disease. And I understand that. I'm looking at the cause of that disease and your laboratory wouldn't even exist because we don't have the disease. So you're not incentivized to solve the problem. You're incentivized to treat the problem. Big difference. And as a podiatrist, I don't treat those things. ALS, perfect example. That's the ninth cranial nerve. Did you have to learn those nerves?
0: Yes. It was a long time ago, though, so I don't remember them entirely, but yes. For me,
1: then, it is for you, I think. But (laughs) anyway, (laughs) um, I I don't like to memorize anything, so I kind of have to have associations. So I look at everything from a really different point of view. So that nerve is the glossopharyngeal nerve. Why is it called that? Because it's, it's for the articulation of swallowing. A lot of muscles, a lot of nerves, but that's the number one the ninth cranial nerves, right next to the vagus nerve. And you have two of them. So let's look at that word, linking that back to atherosclerosis and multiple sclerosis. So, what is ALS? Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. sclerosis. Oh, what an amazing connection. Wow. What does it mean? So, it's Latin. And when you're in school, you try to memorize these things because they don't care what what you know. They want to know that you got an A because you got the correct, whatever the test is. So A means in Latin, no. A, myotrophic, which means muscle. No muscle function. Lateral, you have one on either side of your neck. Hardening of the nerve on either side of your neck, that causes that muscle not to work and that function.
0: Wow.
1: That's what I said. Then I looked at that deeper, the National Football League, NFL. They have a 400% higher incidence of ALS. So my theory is, and it's in the front of my book, sugar plus trauma equals nerve compression. needs trauma and irritant. So let's take an NFL player. What are they, 350 pounds apiece? Let's give them that. How do you get to be 350 pounds? Eat sugar, carbs,
0: Gatorade.
1: You got it. Tons of sugar. I can get. I can make you 350 pounds if you followed that diet.
0: I mean, I'm, I made myself fatter in college because I was a sugar addict, straight
1: up. Ah, the truth. Freshman, yeah. the freshman diet. That's it's a real syndrome, by the way, because the food is free in the cafeterias. So you eat all that crap, right? Yeah. Yep.
0: And then I found myself in a place where I couldn't go a day without having some sort of candy, whether that was a bag of, you know, sour worms, peanut butter, M&Ms were my favorite. I knew it was a problem when I, every single day, I could not go without having it. That's when I was like, oof, this is a problem. Now,
1: you know, that's, that's something that I find very interesting. Most young women know all this, the candies. (laughs) Guys don't. Right. And they and they always tell me like, uh, the, you know, it's like an obsession on candy. Yet a lot of women are thin who are sugar hogs, as I call them. And, you know, like that's the Starbucks phenomenon. Yeah, they're they're basically thin. And I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. They eat a lot of sugar, but they're still thin, whereas most people eat a lot of sugar or fat. Mm hmm. But there's another gene working there. I don't know the answer to that. But I was thinking about it um, a couple of years ago. There's a Starbucks by the hospital in downtown Scottsdale. And I was sitting there and I'm watching people walk out of Starbucks. They're thin and you know they're drinking this frappe whatever because, in my opinion, Starbucks coffee is bitter. And if you don't put sugar in it, it doesn't taste good.
0: It tastes burnt to me,
1: burnt that's exactly right, yeah. purposely, purposely, because uh, coffee is expensive, so let's say it costs a dollar for a cup of coffee. there's no profit. Ten cents worth of sugar, you charge ten dollars for the coffee. You make all your money off the sugar, and it mm-hmm. dictates people because it is it's burnt. <laughs> now they know what good coffee is. they they probably said. Oh, that's great coffee. No, no, no. We need to make it burnt because no one's going to put sugar in it.
0: <laughs> and then the sugar keeps them addicted and keeps them coming back.
1: You got it. So I'm sitting there and watching this and it's right next to the hospital. And I go sugar in the hospital. And then I go to my office. There's a cemetery at 90th street in Shea in Scottsdale. And I went sugar, sick, dead. Mm. If you eat the sugar, you're going to be in the hospital having every organ taken out because of sugar or medicated because of sugar. And when that all else fails, you're dead. So sugar, sick, dead. It's pretty simple.
0: Yeah. But it tastes great. Oh, it tastes great. And it's hard to get rid of that addiction. And, you know, I want to say this for people listening, because I know this is a really sensitive topic and, um, I don't want anyone to think that we're placing blame on anyone specifically. I really see this as a problem with our food industry. It's the connection with our food industry, Big Pharma, and all of these industries that essentially have lied and kept us in the dark and are only feeding those sugar addictions further. Because we're only human, and like we have said many, many times throughout this episode, sugar is highly addictive, you know? And it's it takes a certain... Um, you kind of have to have this like aha moment and first really accept and realize that you are addicted to it and also realize the way that it's influencing your health. And then you can start taking those steps to slowly cut it out of your life. And like I mentioned earlier, when I was in college, I realized that I was a sugar addict and man, it was bad. And then, you know, like I was, okay, so I mentioned I was eating candy on a daily basis. And then on top of that-
1: What was your favorite?
0: The peanut butter MMs ms by far were my favorite. <sighs> God, I mean, I could still like put those in front of me now and it's like game over. But so, and then on top of that, I was drinking a vitamin water every single day. And I don't know if you remember those, but they were really big back in like the early 2000s. When I finally realized how much sugar was in that vitamin water, I turned it around one day and I was like, I'm essentially drinking a Coke every single day. It is the same amount of sugar as a can of Coke. Everyone knows that Coke is bad for you, but at the time we didn't know vitamin water was bad for you. And, you know, it took me, I will I will say it honestly kind of took me years to really finally get my sugar addiction under control. And you mentioned this earlier, and this was a huge thing for me as well. What really helped me was starting to incorporate more fat in my diet. I started putting butter in my coffee in the morning. I was making sure I had avocado with my eggs, um, eating more nut butters, MCT oil in my coffee, which is just basically the medium chain triglycerides from coconut oil, And as I started upping my fat intake, I I started noticing that my sugar cravings were going down. And that's ultimately what really helped me.
1: Right. So a ketogenic diet, I I explored that because it sounds so Um, anti-intuitive. It's just a, it's a paradox. And actually the, the French, that is the French paradox, by the way. How do people in France, they're thin, yet they eat all this fat. Well, it's not a paradox. They're eating what you're supposed to eat. Yeah. That? Oh, that's just, that clogs your heart. You know, it doesn't.
0: Sugar does.
1: Sugar does. It's not a paradox. It's a lie is really what it is.
0: So I'm curious to go back to the sugar aspect a little bit, what your thoughts are, because a lot of people debate this. What are your thoughts on fruit? That concludes part one of my two-part series with Dr. Jacoby. If you're ready to listen to part two, that is also out now. So go and listen to that right now. Also, guys, I really need your help with this. Please share this with everyone that you know and love because this information will truly save lives. And, you know, I always appreciate any shares on social media. Please tag me at Real Foodology. And Share this with people you love because this is information that they really need to hear. This is a Resident Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McComb. The song is by Georgie. As always, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really helps me in this show a lot. See you next week.